And he went out among Galilee, spreading the message and casting out demons. Please be seated. The heaviness of the vision was taking its toll on George. Over the years, I've shared a little bit of the story of George Moore. George was a Presbyterian minister who, in the late 1960s, was exploring a hilltop in an, on an Appalachian mountain in North Carolina when he suddenly had a vision. He had a vision. He heard sounds of children singing and praying, and he knew that this kind of guy George was, he knew that this was of God and that he needed to do something with this vision. And so he went, he went to the owner of that piece of land, and he made a deal with him to purchase the land. He's a young Presbyterian minister. He purchased the land with money that he technically did not have. Anyone, he began then the work of laying the foundation for this camp that appeared to him uh, when he was out among nature. Now, anyone who has ever cleared brush knows that it takes about four times longer than you think it's going to take. That project is not going to be done in an afternoon. It's going to take a very, very long time. And if you have overextended yourself, if, you are, uh, if you're fighting nature back with little more than borrowed money and elbow grease and the help of a few friends, then I assure you that slow pace is going to weigh you down uh, and make you feel depressed, despondent. Are we ever going to be able to achieve this? Well, one day George and his friend Jerry, who was helping him up on the mountain, had to go down into town to pick up some, some supplies. So they went to Marshall, North Carolina. It's about a, a half hour north of Asheville. And they go to the hardware store. And this is, a, this is a small Appalachian community. Everybody knows everybody. Everybody knows there's something going up, uh, up in that hill. And, and the guy at the hardware store says, sees, sees these guys and he says, hey, say, aren't, aren't, aren't you the guys who are up in the hill kind of building that new camp? So how, how's that going up there? How's it going, George? The answer was, before he could open his mouth, badly, slowly, far slower than he thought, acres of brush and trees and roots left to clear, soil filled with massive rock, the burden of borrowed money sitting like one of those stones right there in George's belly. And so George was grateful for a chance to speak a little bit of truth. And so he began to open his mouth and unburden himself. And as he did before he could, um, from behind him over his shoulder, Jerry, oblivious pretty much, just blurts out, he says, why, we're right on schedule. We're right on schedule. George wanted to stop and turn to Jerry and say, Jerry, are you out of your mind? Were you not just up there all morning with us? But George then realized, hold on a minute. 
This might just be the Holy Spirit speaking to me through my friend. We might be right on schedule. George, in that moment, was humbled by the Spirit that was speaking to him through Jerry to say, this is a holy thing, and therefore it is not entirely on your timeline. It is not on your schedule, but on mine. And beloved, we are right on schedule. Now, for those of you who have been with us for an hour and a half, happy annual meeting Sunday. Whee! It's fun. We get balloons coming down. Wasn't that excited? If you're a, this is your first time at Trinity, welcome. You just missed our annual meeting. Um, now, I'm going to get in trouble for saying this one last time because our senior warden called me out on it. This is my fifth year. Yes, it is my milestone year. Okay, I will not say this anymore. I've been talking about this a lot. I will not come back next week and say it's my fifth year and one week. Um, the reason why I have been saying this is because we got, who was a little surprised to hear that? I know I was. We got a little lost in the time, in all the things that happened over the last five years, as we've really been through a lot together. We've been through a global pandemic. We've been through a transition. We've been through things we didn't expect. We have been through headwinds that simply didn't want to let up. And I, I think that we let a lot of the hardship take root, and we lost sense of time a little bit, understandably. All churches did. But here's the risk. If we get lost in tales of woe, we miss out on some of the new and incredible and spirit-filled things that are right in front of us. And I don't want us to miss out on a thing. Because, friends, there are incredible things, incredible ways, that the Spirit is moving through us and with us and here in this community. And so an annual meeting is an opportunity, or a milestone, whatever it is, is an opportunity to look at where we've been and acknowledge it, but also celebrate celebrate the new things that God is calling us to. So now that we are here, now that we have been growing again for several years, we can look back over our shoulder. We can look back at some of those good years and some of those hard years and also realize that through it all, this Holy Spirit was moving on a timeline that was not ours to decide or even ours to fully see. Perhaps the Spirit wanted us to take some time so that we could truly move from strength to strength, to grow into new areas of ministry and discipleship that celebrate who we are and who we have always been, while calling us to go together ever deeper into the journey of faith. Maybe we are right on schedule after all. The Holy Spirit moves through time and through change in ways that are mysterious and oftentimes opaque. And you know what? Being faithful sometimes doesn't make that any clearer. 
the Spirit's movement through time, it is not linear. It does not, it does not respond to our Outlook calendar invitations. It is cyclical at best and sometimes just plain wacky. The Holy Spirit is simply not something that responds to rushing. Now, the curious thing, though, about the Holy Spirit schedule is that the minute we have figured some part of it out, where we say, oh, oh, I see this now, what we, we have to slow down so we can listen to one another, so we can listen to God speaking to us. We have to take our time, whatever it is, if it's important, it's going to take longer than we expected. Okay, I've got it. We'll slow down. And then the very second we think we have that figured out, the Holy Spirit, she then tells us to get off our keisters because now it's time to really get moving. Last week, we screened the Philadelphia 11 about the courageous women who defied convention and canonical process, no small thing in the Episcopal Church, back in 1974 to be ordained to the priesthood. There we sat. Last Tuesday, we sat right here. And on the platform sat Nancy Wittig, one of those first 11 women, and Gay Clark Jennings, the first ordained woman to lead the House of Deputies. And then Bishop Ann Jolly, who told us their stories about blazing the trail of women's leadership. And there we saw the incredible story of the 11 who affirmed for all of us what brave and sacrificial leadership looks like. We learned the cost that it meant, but it also we saw what it made possible for so many women, but I'll say for so many people. And it's hard not to sit there and hear this incredible story of bravery and imagination and not see that the Holy Spirit was moving through it, not see that the Holy Spirit is moving through us now, and not see that when we are challenged, the Holy Spirit is moving us right on schedule. But at the same time, paradoxically, we were profoundly not on schedule. It was a movie. You know, that's a great thing to start on a Sunday where we were 10 minutes late after the annual meeting. Sometimes schedule shifts a little bit, right? This was a movie about ministry, and it was a movie about liberation, but you know, it was also a movie about power. Because as those women saw, those who held power didn't want to give it up. Those who held power didn't want to see the possibility that the Holy Spirit was moving through this process in a way that challenged them and meant they had to give something up and they thought they were using the language of the church and the language of faith when what really they were doing was just stonewalling. That's not moving on schedule. That says to me a reminder that we as a church we're profoundly not on schedule. That what happened 50 years ago was wonderful and profound, but it should have happened 100 years ago, 200 years ago, or should have never had to have happened at all. Whenever we hold on to power, whenever we hold on to something and we don't want to let it change, 
what we're doing is trying to conform God's schedule to how we think things should play out. If there's anything that Scripture teaches us, though, that the principalities of this world, the powers of this world, and the kingdoms of this world completely stink at this kind of schedule-keeping. We read in Isaiah, God brings the princes to naught, makes the rulers of the earth as nothing. Scarcely are they planted, scarcely sown, scarcely have their stems taken root in the earth when God blows upon them and they wither and the tempest carries them off like stubble. That's painful. That's painful if that's the world you know. But you know what? It might also be right on schedule. We are not giants. We are not princes. Isaiah tells us this, and he says what we are, and I love this. We are grasshoppers. Isn't that great? We are grasshoppers. That's a wonderful perspective on time. Now, I come from a town where the minor league baseball team are the grasshoppers, the Greensboro grasshoppers, um, which is great. What if that was our team name? What if that was our identity? To say that I am a grasshopper, we are grasshoppers, which means we are people of humility who know God's schedule and we are fine with it. God, in your infinite grace, let me be a grasshopper. Living on the Spirit's time means recalibrating our sense of when to hurry up and when to slow down, to listen to the still, small voice of God. Even the gospel this morning, in a very gentle um, and lovely way, draws us, I think, into this paradox of being um, right on schedule behind schedule, right on schedule behind schedule. Because Jesus, um, he goes to his friend's home, to Simon's house, where Simon's mother-in-law is sick with a fever, and which could very well be fatal. Jesus arrives just in time, just in time, and he goes up to her, and with infinite grace, he, he, I imagine he touches her hand, and, and the fever leaves her, and she is better. Jesus comes in right on set schedule to heal her. But you know, if we look at the story um, with different eyes, what, there's a way that we're a little bit not quite on schedule here, too. Um, what is the very first thing that she does after she is better? She serves the boys. She, she does that. Have you guys noticed that? I know um, that a mother who has young children uh, sees this and remember, realizes uh, the only time she can ever get a moment of peace is when she gets COVID. What is it that Jesus, you know, we see that and Jesus, I'm being playful here, I realize, but I'm playing with some of the same gender dynamics that keep us from being on schedule. Jesus comes in and he saves her and he, and he heals her and he heals her, her, her fever and he takes her hand and says, woman, your faith has made you well. 
Do you think you could make us a sandwich? <laughs> now, no, I don't for a minute think Jesus thought that. I, not for a minute. Jesus did not believe, follow the same gender dynamics that we have had sort of layered onto us, or whatever your, your power dynamics that, that you struggle under, whichever side of that you're on. But we know plenty of folks in the many, many centuries since have looked at this passage and others like it and drawn from it the inference of a power dynamic that they then said, oh, I like the sound of that, let's go with that. And so we have here yet another example of something that can be used as a proof text for a patriarchy, a power imbalance that God never imagined. And that if we want to find the right schedule, we need to get, let go of those places that we have held on to these kinds of things and say they are not holy. They do not bring us closer to one another. They do not bring us closer to God. They do not get us onto God's timeline. The key is knowing when to fall back into the Spirit's mysterious pace which can be slow and stately, or when to pick things up a bit. Jesus' day of miracles that started there with Simon's mother-in-law, it continued as people from all over began to bring to him, right outside of Jesus' door, people who were sick, people who were possessed with these things they called demons asking for Jesus to cast those demons out. And so Jesus did that. He, he cared for those who were sick. He healed them. But then what was the very first thing that he did to those demons? He told them to clam up. He did not let them speak, which seems impolite. Um, although I think we've all begun to start meeting those folks who are like, you know, but you know, there's two sides. They have to wait, whoa, 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 you don't have to speak right? Don't have to say everything. I think there's a reason for that. I, I think it's this. I think that Jesus knew that demons are really good at what they do, and that if their job is to really disrupt things and really throw things off our game, they're going to be subtle about it. They're not going to, you know, appear as those little, you know, pointy-tailed guys up on our shoulder and tell us to go do really bad things, like, you know, poof, Ron, why don't you go burn that down, right? Or, or Kaniala, poof, you need to go and say something that's not true about somebody else. Demons don't do that um, because they're going to know we figure them out. What they do is they appear and they disrupt our sense of skill schedule. What they do, perhaps what they want to do is to whisper in our ear to calm down in the face of injustice. You know, just let the process work it out a little bit. Let's wait till everybody feels good about something before we start to really move ahead. Here, have a cup of tea. Relax. Or maybe what they do 
is the same game from a different angle, which is to convince us to rush headlong into a fight without doing our own inner work first, without first anchoring our justice work in grace and love and discipleship so that what ends up happening is we do not serve the world as we think we are doing. Rather, we burn ourselves out far too quickly. Or we simply project ourselves onto other people just in a different way. Jesus doesn't let those demons speak because their game is to disrupt our connections to the movement and the energy and, yes, the schedule of this great and wild Spirit of God. To be faithful, to be humble, to be hopeful is to be right on schedule. There is work to be done, and there are things to build and to co-create, and there is indeed grief to be expressed And there are so many ways where the people of God, where we have let ourselves become far behind schedule. Coming alongside the Holy Spirit, though, whose pace is mysterious and unknowable, and yet who carries us out into the world, who simultaneously lifts us up into the generous embrace of God, This is how we begin to move with purpose and grace and even holiness. In this infinitely graceful presence of God, where forgiveness and resurrection and hope all come together in one moment, we once again hear the voice of the Holy Spirit, whose name is Jerry, speaking over our shoulder before we can jump in with all the things that are bouncing around on our head, and says, we're right on schedule. Amen.